Welcome to Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. And thank you for joining us on our journey to become better, braver, happier painters. That's right, listeners. Today we ha- we are pleased to have artist, author, and publicist Dave Taylor on the show today. Dave, welcome and thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks very much for having me, guys. Of course. Yep, and this has been a long time coming. You know, uh, Dave was around when we were first ba- uh, bouncing the idea of the podcast uh, out there um, at the Nova Open in 2019. Um, so that's pretty cool. Finally, we finally get you on the show. You know, <laughs> yeah, it uh, only took uh, only took two years of being stuck in our basements for. for <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, Wait, uh, that's yeah. over? Oh no, sorry. Thank you. Not quite. It. We're almost over. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome to have you. There's so, you know, this is one of those things I actually struggled putting the questions together because I feel like this could be like a, a like a, a never ending interview because there's so many things that we could talk to you about this because of your incredible career. Um, so now you've touched so many different areas of the hobby. Uh, I was wondering if you could just give our listeners uh, your hobby origin story, how you, it all started out. Um, the super brief version of the uh, hobby origin story uh is uh probably 19 i guess saying like 1984 uh i started playing uh dnd with uh, my next door neighbor and some friends uh and i probably painted some uh I, I probably painted a few adventuring models then i used to play a dwarf fighter and i think i found that one the other uh like the other month when i was back in australia so actually, I'm pretty sure I now I have the first model that I painted. Uh, but yeah, we played a lot of D&D during high school. Uh, and then my first year in college, I um, saw these miniatures in, a, in another store and they were for something bigger. I didn't exactly know what. Um, and I wasn't really interested in looking at it just yet. But um, I ended up buying miniatures and painting them to create chess sets um so that was kind of a kind of a crazy thing uh and i bought a box of the rtb01 plastic space marines and i made a chess set out of them and then i bought another box and made another chess set and when the next time i went into the store the guy behind the counter said you know you probably got enough to make an army and i was like an army what are you talking about (laughs) and so he explained what road trader was and what warhammer was and I was like, really? All these things can be, I'm in, totally in. And uh, so that was 1991. And uh, yeah, I've been obsessed with painting miniatures for tabletop wargaming ever since. That's pretty cool. That's, you know, that that 89.90 is kind of when I first found uh, the Rogue Trader 1 box as well. That's pretty cool. Chess set's an awesome idea, though, actually. Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of crazy. I just picked um at the store they would break it break open boxes and blister packs and sell the models individually um mainly because they knew that more people could afford individual models at a time uh and i painted up some uh gretchen from i think it was like advanced space crusade or something like that and uh, i took one of them in i was doing graphic design at uh, college and i took um took one of them, the models in to show one of my lecturers that i like and he looked at it and he said, you know, Dave, I thought you could do better than that. Oh. Like, like he pushed exactly the right button. On 
it was a nice challenge from, <laughs> from wow. a great guy. And, uh, and I, I just always remember that. I'm pretty sure that he knew what he was doing when he, uh, when he said that. So, um, but yeah, so I, I did take that as a challenge and I kept painting and here I am today. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. So, yeah. But that's kind of, uh, that's kind of it. That's the quick version. <laughs> well, I'm always curious about like how artists approach like their projects and even more intrigued by those who do these mega conversions and kick bashes and the sort. Um, I don't know about it, but, um, uh, you know, putting a chariot on top of a chaos knight kind of thing, <laughs> the great ideas, exceptional execution. Um, can you talk to us about your process? Um, sure. Uh, I don't know if I have a particular, um, specific process, um, that I do, um, but I, I do love um, projects, big projects. Um, for a long time, I've always said like miniatures look, they look better if they've got friends around them. Um, so you can paint one model and you go, oh, this is pretty good. But you paint like 25 pretty good models. Um, they're all going to, they're going to have a, more of an impact. I, I, and I feel they look, they're elevated um, by it. So um, when I'm working, when I'm starting on a project, the biggest decision is do I keep this small or am I prepared to spend the next three months sort of assembling and painting models for a particular army? Um, and usually I'll have, I might have two or three or four projects on the go at one time so I can move around between them and um, not get um, sort of burnt out on painting the same green or the same brown or whatever it happens to be. Um, but you can keep coming, keep coming back to it after you painted something different, some, a different color, um, a different part of the model or a different type of model, that kind of thing. You paint space Marines for, for days and then go and paint something like, uh, like the fire slayers from age of Sigmar, the big dwarfs with flowing orange beards, something very different to, Space Marines. Um, so process-wise, as I said, yeah, I don't really have one, but um, I'll have a. I kind of try to put a, like a broad overview of what I'm going to do for the project. Um, the chariot on the Chaos Knight um, project that you mentioned was uh, I think that was last year. I think that was last year's um, uh, my submission for the uh, Nova Open Charitable Foundation um, raffles. And yeah, that one was, was really, I, I saw the, um, Glutus Oskillian model. I, I can't remember if, if that's the actual name of it, but the, um, the big, um, the Lord of Gluttony. Yeah. The Lord of Gluttony. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. um, the Slanesh chariot, uh, one with the, that guy. And it was like, I love that model, but I know that I will never paint a whole Hedonites of Slanesh army. So right. to get it, I wanted to have a purpose for the project rather than just, so I, I, just painting single models doesn't really, um, doesn't usually count as a purpose for me. I wanted to, I usually like them to grow, those projects to grow. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, the idea of 
putting it, mounting it on top of something. And um, I mean, with Slanesh being the god of excess, it was like, I want to do something that's excessive. And so putting this chariot piece and this guy riding on the back of an enormous Chaos Knight would be awesome. Uh, and then I made the Chaos Knight uh, a little bit taller. I got some leg extensions from um, Taro Model Maker, James mm-hmm. Taro in uh, the UK. Um, I built the feet up a little bit to be more like hooves. And so in the end, the model was like, I think it was like 13, 14 inches tall. Jeez. So just a really, again, a really excessive kind of. <laughs> uh, and that was, it was having those key sort of ideas first. Um, mm-hmm. And then working out what else I needed to do to the to the model to give it that slanesh feel. Um, and this is going to sound strange, but not take it over the top too much. Um, or understanding that making it taller and sticking a chariot on top was going to be mm-hmm. as over the top as it needed to be. Right. Um, you don't want to take it too much further. Uh, so again, it, it's like a lot of projects that I have, it's, it, I'll have a base idea and um, a kind of a few key elements that I want to work with. And then as I'm working on the project, the ideas continue to develop and evolve. Um, sometimes they change. Sometimes I cut things out so I can finish the project sooner um, or I adjust the vision slightly. Um, so what I always like to do to make sure that I can feel good about what I'm doing and feel good about my progress through a project is I'm always ready to change what that vision is. Um, nice. To sort of reel it back in or to slice it, uh, like cut it up and say, okay, well, I'll do the rest of this in six months time or whatever it happens to be. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, generally the, and that's a very broad way of saying what, right. I, what I do. No, it's a hard, yeah, it's a hard question. Yeah. When I, when, when writing it, we're kind of like, oh, we want to get into this because that's crazy that, you know, the whole, you know, this chaos knight is missing something. Hmm. A chariot might work, you know, like <laughs> yeah, that, that one was more, um, can I, can I take this piece from like an age of Sigma piece and add it comfortably to a, to create a 40 K piece and what would I need to do to it? Can I leave that guy on the back? Um, sort of the, the big, um, gluttonous, uh, guy there, what do right. I need to do to him to make him 40k? And then how do I change it? The people that are in front of him, um, the rest of his sort of retinue to give them more of a 40k feel. So I think I did a like a um a mechanicus, uh dark mechanicus guy. Right. Um, kind of controlling the the knight and a um a servitor sort of hardwired in there with one of the oh, I think it was like a missile rack attached to him. Nice. I just think it would, <laughs> would work with the uh that particular um, Titan. Well, that's fantastic. You know, that's uh, uh, I, I have to ask this kind of a, a little bit of an, a, a little bit of a diversion in conversation, but I, I had to paint that uh, chariot for a commission. And I have to say that it was one of the most annoying things I've ever painted in my life with all the little tiny, like the apples inside the baskets inside the, you know what I'm saying? Like every little, there were, it was almost detail overload. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I was kind of like, really? 
Like, why is this even filled with apples? I have no idea. Yeah, or I, what, think, it, I think I filled in that little channel that was filled with apples. <laughs> like, <laughs> apples make no sense in 40K, right? Um, right. Unless you're a rattling. But um, yeah, the. Uh, no, you're exactly right. No, I, had a, I did have a look at your, um, your uh, Lord of Gluttony chariot uh, today as well. And it was like, oh, yeah, thank you. Cool. It's, it's a very cool piece. Uh, did a really great job on it. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that uh, for sure. Um, hey, you know what? Before we move on to uh, one of the big reasons we have you here to talk about the book series coming out, uh, I do want to just nail a little bit on the uh, the painting side of it. But uh, what inspired you uh, besides, you know, kind of the the blunt professor? But what does what made you decide that you wanted to keep taking your painting up to the next level? Um, I think uh, for me, um one of the, the thing that was was tough when I when I started, um, so in my hometown Newcastle in Australia, um, I started playing, started painting. I joined a local club, and probably for about three years, I was the best painter there. Um, it just sort of stumbled in the way that I painted and the that sort of thing. Was, I really enjoyed it, and so I paid attention to it, and I just happened to be the best painter and everybody else there was they weren't very good painters so mm -hmm. it was tough for me to advance my own painting when i say i was i was the best i'm not saying that i was great <laughs> i was certainly not um but uh i remember when um games workshop opened a store in my hometown and i went in the first day and they had um they were like you know, they had a display in the window and there were four empire handgunners there that just looked fantastic. I think they were Avalon, they were like black and yellow, and mm. they were gorgeous. And so I said to the manager, "Oh, who who painted those those handgunners in the window?" And he goes, "Oh, I did, I did. Yeah, I painted them last night." And I went, "What? All, all four of them?" <laughs> and he went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus a couple of that that model and that model." And I was like, "Teach me, teach right. me." <laughs> Um, so I think he was, at, he was managing the store for about the next three months. So, um, I'd go in there, um, like two or three times a week and he'd give me a few hints and tips on, on painting and I'd work on that. And then I'd, um, started spending more and more time at the store. And in the end they said, Hey, would you like a job? Um, and I was like, would I, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, and so like the day after I finished my college degree, I, um, started working uh, full-time for games workshop and part of that was teaching people how to paint people who had never painted before um so it was spending uh time getting uh working on my own skills and using the techniques that um the games workshop used to teach back then which was like step one step two step three heavy metal kind of quality um and uh it was working you know, sort of way through that using the washers, using dry brushing, using all the basic techniques that we know and love. Uh, but it was uh, working for Games Workshop as well at the time. It was, okay, well, the, this, these new models are arriving in the store tomorrow. They're going to be up on the new release shelf tomorrow. And you're going to need to have them painted and in the window, like by the weekend. Damn. Uh, <laughs> Um, just like that manager who had painted up these hangouts the night before kind of thing. Uh, that was the, 
kind of the pace of the stuff that we had to do. So um, I spent a lot of time learning to paint quickly, learning mm -hmm. to paint well. Um, I say, I, I don't say learning to, uh, basically learning to paint well so that people could look at them in the window and go, oh, that looks cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that after a while we started to open up more Games Workshop stores. So each store needed three or four 40K armies, three or four Warhammer armies, a whole bunch of stuff for the windows. And that fell to everybody else who was in the stores. And we used wow. to just have to paint a lot of models all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we, we got into the habit of, we were painting in the store at the painting table and we were able to paint and talk to customers and explain different things to them and uh, basically provide customer service. And it was sort of working through all of that and uh, then when I came to the US, I was working in the studio, um, at the promotion studio. There were so many things that we wanted to do there that painting quickly was an important thing. And the more you paint, the better you're going to get. You're going to get more comfortable with your brush strokes or where paint needs to go or how paint mixes. And it's just practice. So all that practice really is, is what sort of kept pushing my, my painting forward quite a bit. Yeah, I think we need to make that sound clip and just repeat it constantly because every, when you know when we're looking, um, you know, through different uh, um, uh, what are they called uh, news groups. Oh, that's like an eighties or nineties term. Right there. Um, Come on, old man. Uh, when, <laughs> when we're uh, you know when we're read, uh, looking through Facebook, uh, groups and... Facebook groups and the sort, they uh, there's a lot of people saying, "Wow, you know, how do I get better? What do I do?" Uh, you go on Instagram, they're like, "Wow, that's fantastic! Uh, how do I, you know, what do I need to do to to learn how to paint like that?" And that's something we wish we could just share it and just uh, put it into people's brains that it does come down to practice. Yeah. Um, painting any kind of thing and you know you go a little deeper when you're talking about like knowing what your brush strokes do and and like you know how it uh how, how it creates a flow and how it uh, uh directs where your your vision is going or where your eyes are going and that's all really important but that number one thing is people you've got to practice don't you know yeah. listen to you, podcasts you, don't watch movies right exactly <laughs> paint paint, paint. Learn yeah, you got to be, be comfortable with uh, you got to be comfortable with what you're doing, and uh, anyway, to to get comfortable and and not be worried about putting paint on a model is to put lots and lots and lots of paint on lots and lots and lots <laughs> of models. Um, True. Yeah, but, uh, you're right. It, there's a um, I think I've been in a couple of conversations this week about uh, about practice, but more specifically about deliberate practice. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of the thing where you could just sit there and let's say you've got 50 models you want to paint for an army and you just sit there and slap on the blue and slap on the red and slap on the whatever and not really care about where it's going just so that you have three base colors or whatever for that tournament on the weekend. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So there's an element of practice in that. I'm using sort of air quotes now. Um, <laughs> there's an element of practice in that, but um, you're, the speed at which you'll improve is based on that deliberate practice. So paying attention right. to where you're putting the blue, paying attention to where you're putting the red, how it's coming out of the pot or out of the tube or out of the whatever, how it's going, how it is on your brush, um, how your brush strokes are different when you're point, when you don't have a point on the brush anymore. 
um, all that kind of thing. Uh, if you pay attention to those things and a lot of that would be working out what works for you, mm -hmm. going through and doing it, um, you'll either improve your speed or you'll improve your quality. Um, usually it's, <laughs> it's not going to be both at the same time. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's like that. Uh, there's that, that thing where you can have something um, good and quick, but it'll be expensive. Or you can have something good and cheap, but it'll take a long time. Or you can have something expensive and fast, but it won't be good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that kind of thing, or cheap and fast, and won't be good. Uh, I can't remember the, the triumvirate, but it's like that kind of thing with uh, with painting. You can have you can get, you can actually get to a point where you can have good and fast um, and volume of painting. Um, but generally, it's only going to be two of those three. Right, right. And you know, and it's what's funny is too this is that I, I have to say I didn't believe it until I did was started doing uh, commissions that where I was doing like 15 to 20 model commissions. And simple things that, you know, would always irk me would be thin my paints, get them properly thinned, and then not think about the amount of water that's on the brush. And of course, that changes the dynamic of what you just thinned and just silly little things like that, that I don't really do anymore, because I've now gone through the process. Of, ah, crap. You know, like, you know, we're doing that on a 15 model commission, you're like driving yourself crazy every two seconds with too much, paint. you know, just simple habits like that that are, seem to be easier to break when you do repetition and such um, yeah, so. yeah definitely definitely and when you're when when you're working on a commission as well when you know it's it's for someone else and um they're going to be critiquing your work and you've got a deadline for it it's like all the more reason to pay yeah. attention <laughs> yeah, exactly so, exactly yeah I, i'll say um one of the things that i i did um just before I left Australia, actually, before I moved over here, I was um, working on a table for Games Day. I wanted to do a big uh, Gaunt's Ghost uh, gaming table. Mm -hmm. So I think it ended up being like 18 feet by 18 feet long by four feet wide. It was a trench board, that kind of thing. Man, you do not go small, do you? No. You're like, you go bigger, you're big or nothing. <laughs> big or nothing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was using, uh, for the for the enemy, for the, the Shriven, which um, from one of the early books, uh, I had about 300 models to paint from that. And it was, um, I used all of the Steel Legion um, models for it. Mm -hmm. And so I had to paint them in batches. And so I painted them in batches of like 20 or 30 models at a time. Tried to get as many of the same model as possible so that the, the brush strokes would be incredibly repetitive. Um, but at the start, I think the models were taking me about four, about, about 50 minutes a piece. Uh, and I do know that the final 30, I painted those in, uh, they're basically, they, I averaged five minutes a model. Jeez. Because <laughs> Lord. When I said before about knowing where your brush strokes go, there were no wasted brush strokes. can imagine. Everything went exactly where it needed to go on those models. And you couldn't really tell the difference between that, those last models and the first models. So um, that's, that's impressive. That's a key thing for me that tells me that you know, if you're paying attention and 
I like to break those things down and go, oh, well, how long did that take me? How long did that take me? <laughs> and a lot of people don't worry about that sort of stuff. But um, if you do pay attention to it, you'll know, am I getting faster or am I getting better? Or how to, how can I compare these these pieces? Um, so you'll know how you're progressing. Uh, and I gotta, I gotta admit for most of my, almost all of my painting time um, for me, getting faster was more important than, um, than working towards, uh, sort of top, top tier competition painting, um, mm-hmm. mainly because I had so many ideas in my head that I needed to get out. <laughs> you, you can't get those ideas out onto the right. miniatures and onto the table. If you're taking your time or, um, focusing on a, a single model. So it's been a kind of, there's been a lot of self-reflection you know and we accept we we believe that all of that is the same to us like the whether you're a tabletop painter figure painter bus painter all that whether you're a competition painter to us if you include the word painting it has the same level of value to us so um, you know but we 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 love i love seeing armies just as much as i love seeing great pieces you know single pieces out there yeah, um, but geez, I think I if Dan, I don't know about you, but I know if I got to that last thirty, it would probably take me longer than the others. Like <laughs> I would be so broken at that point. Yeah, I was thinking I would just be tired, and I would just because I I remember those late nights of trying to paint armies before a games day or you know, the new army is coming out and we have to have something for our store army to showcase to the new customers. And you're like, oh, I'm just so tired of painting this same color all the time. <laughs> um, so yes, folks, it, yep. you could be painting. Yeah. It's been uh 20 something years for me. So yeah. Um, doesn't matter what era you're in. It's still a, a pain to paint that many figures hey that's why they invented spray paint right airbrushes <laughs> Woo-hoo. Yep. Yeah, any anything that you can use to um to shorten the time uh, hell yeah definitely massive batch painting and, and armies and that kind of thing yeah i'm all all for those for sure yeah i know a lot of people were down on the using the dips and stuff like that but i'm like whatever if you got if you got it and can make it look good knock yourself out yeah. you know dip away <laughs> it's just another tool i mean now we have speed paints and we have right uh, contrast, contrast paints which you know it's just one layer and uh, hopefully it comes out well and sometimes they do sometimes they don't but people are doing all kinds of experimentation with you know the the different mediums and stuff that are being used so you can do it for different things you know exactly. brush it if you want or dip them or brush them and let them dry and mix them all up and that sort but i like your your idea of the complete stealth army of just everything is black dan it's like you could sneak up on people in the table right or it's all gray yeah all gray so <laughs> oh come on <laughs> <laughs> so I noticed that I grabbed this color of gray spray paint. It's a primer and it's the exact same color gray that GW uses for its plastic. Right. And I have to look and stare and it's like, I don't know if I've actually painted this one yet or not. And I have to feel it and touch it and say, is it, is it Yep. did i paint it and sometimes i'm like well i i just have to reprime it because i just don't know if i did it <laughs> it's like oh so much for having a great army because i don't know what i've done with these guys yet yeah 
Nice. <laughs> yeah, you need to have. I, I'm going to suggest two project boxes. One, right. one project box full of the assembled models, and one project box full of the prime. Oh, models. yeah. I just throw them all together and just hope that they're. Uh, <laughs> that it's like, well, these these guys have been prime black, so I know that those have been done, so I don't have to worry about them now. I, I my life is not that easy. It's <laughs> oh, this is these are ready to go, and these are ready for the next step. Until they're all primed, and then I know, hey, this box is all primed, either gray or white or black. Yeah, nice. That's good. <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you for for that aspect of it. You know, and it's really it's wonderful. I mean, it, it, I don't want to downgrade it. You are a fantastic painter. Uh, you know, I've I've really enjoyed looking through the Legions and Hordes book. Um, so that I don't want to want you to sell yourself short in that area, but it is also cool that to hear that somebody that you know. Hey, you know what? My priority is to get models on the table, get the ideas out of my head, and you know, yep. the good product. So that's because, like, I feel like everybody needs to hear that it's okay to be where wherever you want to be as long as you're having fun as a painter. No, exactly, exactly. Um, there's uh, there's something in the in the Armies, Legions, and Hordes book um, where at, at the time that I wrote it, I talked about um, a little bit about what happens if you do sort of come up against a roadblock with a project mm -hmm. and um, it's just just not working for you. And I was basically, yeah, it's, it's okay to set it aside. Um, right. And I think at the time that I was writing it, uh, I, was, I talked about um, my Gene Steeler cult army. When the Gene Steeler cult models originally came out, um, the, the new plastic ones uh, that you did, that came out in like 2016, 2017. Um, I was really excited by them. Those models looked fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I definitely wanted to have an army of them. And I, so I bought an army and um, it was a fairly, like fairly small, fairly limited number of um, units that they had at the time. Right. I had them all assembled, had them all primed and I started painting them. And it was like, man, this is the biggest chore ever. <laughs> There's so much detail on these that I'm, I'm not enjoying this. And so I, I put them aside and it's like, okay, maybe I'll come back to them or maybe I, I won't. Maybe I'll just sell this off because I've never sold an unpainted army before. Um, so it was kind of weird for me. And I mentioned, talked about it in the book. Um, but then I think like uh, a couple of months after the book came out, uh, GW previewed a picture of the Achilles Ridge Runner, little buggy um, yeah. kind of thing that they've got for it, the, the um, oversized four-wheeler. Mm -hmm. And... I was like, that model is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are my models? Where are my jeans? Where's my jeans? Where's my jeans? So I, sort of, I, I spent the next like half well, half the day sort of tearing apart my basement to find out where those models were. And I started painting them. And it was like, actually, these models aren't that bad. They're fine. I'm really enjoying painting these now. And uh, I think I've probably painted like four or five thousand points of Gene Steeler cult since then. Oh my gosh, so many! It's, um, it's just one of those things where if that there will be times when you'll lose the motivation on a project that you were really excited about for whatever reason it happens to be, and you put it aside, and that that spark can come back, and it can come back bigger and stronger and, mm -hmm. and better. And uh, so, it's awesome. Yeah. I love the, the Gene Steeler cult so much and those Achilles Ridge Runners that I've actually been working on a Gaunt's Ghost Army that includes those Achilles Ridge Runners as like outrider vehicles. And um, nice. 
Actually, I just used the Gene Steel Occult rules. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Ghost, Imperial Guard Army, but mm -hmm. the squads, everything ports over really easily. So, um, and, and just just so you know, I'm pretending to understand what you're talking cool. about as far as these go. Dan, Dan's on top of it, but I've got. <laughs> Uh, you, you, I, I understood the four wheeler thing, but you're like, oh, the Gaunt's Ghost, and I like the name sounds familiar. Um, this is why we work as a team because he's got this aspect of it, and I'm kind of like, wow, it sounds pretty, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's all good, but uh, no, book series. Well, it goes with, it, yeah, it goes with with everything, you know. Um, sometimes you just we all fall into it. What, you know, what is our lack of motivation yeah. and you seeing a completed model that's, you know, that was painted like, wow, okay, I have that somewhere. Or sometimes for me, it's like, I know what kind of paint scheme I want to do. And I just, when I can't visualize or get my hand to recognize how to do that, it, okay. I'm not going to say it becomes discouraging, but you're like, okay, let me just put it down for a little bit. And then mm -hmm. you, you know, as you're thumbing through, instagram or something you see that that color scheme you're like oh now that's what i was trying to do and that's what starts that fire when you're like okay now i can paint this i just couldn't make that connection before and that happens well, quite a bit with me <laughs> and so that's my painting journey is just finding really cool stuff and trying to replicate it the best i can so i've got a question for you then do you have um do you kind of have a go-to set of recipes so if somebody was to say blue you go here's how i normally paint dark blue or light blue or you know. i i used to in the um where i would be like um i want i want this dark blue and i would have a recipe for dark blue um but as i've grown a little bit more i try to um make the color or to make those combinations and create my own recipe and then okay i know that this you know i know that the base color is going to be this i'm going to try to shade it with this color and maybe highlights will be this color or a combination of those and then i'll write it down um but i used to be i used to collect recipes because uh, that's how i started um but uh taking some lessons and learning like more of the color theory and opening our minds a little bit more to to painting and not sure. being um, so strict yep. and just enjoying it has definitely broadened like, oh, okay, it's not quite the most perfect blue, but I'll be all right with it. It's not that bad. I can make it happen if, you know, maybe yep. I can do a, a glaze on top of it or I can do an ink or something to get closer to that color if I really want it to. Um, Mike and I were in um, Banshee's um, mm -hmm. class oh, yeah, a couple weeks ago, and yeah. I purposefully only took one set of paints because I didn't want to have every color of yellow and every color of blue. I wanted to limit the palette, and I was going to give this a try. And I, I'm not going to say I had the conversation with myself, but I was very... Um, I wanted to be very, um, not strict, but I wanted to make sure that I only had certain colors. So when I did paint, if I had to go outside what I, my range is, well, then I would just have to mix that color. And I, we've had classes before we're learning how to mix your own color paints with the primary colors. Uh, it's sometimes it'd be fun, but it depends on where you want to be in, um, in your mindset. 
but it was fun though because i was able to say okay i know what i want the skin to be a certain color well i don't have that color and that's all right i'll make this work or i hear what i was what i was painting uh the backgrounds like what color yep. blue with the backgrounds that i want to have right. and then what was the the moonlight supposed to look like and what was the fire supposed to look like so um if I needed to, I could make those colors and it made it much more interesting and right. it didn't seem so static of like, Oh, okay. Here's another Eshin gray <laughs> army, you know, it's, not, it's, you know, maybe it has a little bit of purple in it instead of blues or, or greens. So. Sure. Cool. Now the, yeah. the reason I ask, um, when you mentioned like sometimes, um, coming up against that sticking point of, of wondering what colors like, how to refine the color scheme or what to sort of go to. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've found that works for me and it, it's along those lines of that restricting, um, restricting choices, restricting options or um, mm -hmm. that kind of thing is I have, a, when I come to paint a model, I'll probably, I'll have 80% of the model. I'll use um, approaches that I usually, that I use all the time. So, Every almost all of my models will have charred brown on them somewhere because <laughs> color. I love it. There's so many things you can, so many ways you can push it around. Mm -hmm. That it's always a great base for brown leather or for um, for wood or that kind of thing, and you can riff off it in a lot of different ways. Um, if you were a Spanish painter, it'd be ice yellow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not have any ice yellow. I will admit, I do have ivory. Ivory. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I do that. And then the last 20% is something that I don't usually do. Um, so it might be one color, uh, one area on the model, or it might be a couple of different colors. Uh, but it'll be something, it'll be taking a different approach. Like instead of sort of shading my, uh, blue green with dark Prussian blue, I'll shade it with purple. Mm -hmm. or I'll nice. shade it with something else. I'll, I'll work through a different um, sort of set of colors. I'll switch things up within that recipe, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, and that's a, that's a great shortcut too. Like if you were having a, let's say you're using gray or using a black, um, yeah, you airbrush it or spray paint it and using different uh, colors to do highlights it makes it look completely different and all you did was spend the extra couple of seconds just to put them on there that's that is making my brain click there that's that's pretty cool you know i didn't uh, i didn't process it like that before yeah it nice. can uh, it can be uh can be fun yeah doing those those things are just a just a little bit different um uh, mm -hmm. just recently i painted some models from uh bard Sung, the board game oh cool um, okay. and uh with it being a board game there's a lot of models in there that might not see the table a lot of the time. Uh, mm. But also you want to have the different groups of uh, minions or foes, I think they call them uh, in there. You want to have them um, grouped together. So, you know, you can recognize them on the tabletop. You, you know, who you can, like what group you're coming up against. Mm -hmm. um, so I did like a, um, a Zenithal prime on them, but rather than starting with black as the under, color mm -hmm. I started with um like a dark green oh cool and then everything else um went sort of on it from from the top but 
when I was getting into the shading, I would just mix in some dark green to all of the colors, regardless of what color was. It could be silver, it could be um, purple, whatever it happened to be. But my shading was all with the dark green. So it was, again, I knew the paints that I was using, but I was just mixing them in a very, in a different way to what I was usually, uh, what I was used to when I was putting them on the model. So I could feel comfortable, but also be breaking out of the, um, the way that I would usually do it. So it's and that way you get a lot of harmony too. Like yeah. with you're constantly using that, you know, using that as a little bit and everything. That's, a, that's a great idea. Yeah, very definitely. And, and you don't have to be reaching for a lot of colors all the time so you can paint them quickly and you get that harmony, which really helps the, the look of them um, for sure. But again, yeah, it's just, just doing something different. Yeah. The, 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 the recipe thing you asked is interesting because, uh, you know, when Dan and I went down to go to Alfonso's class a couple of weeks ago, we also, uh, the Friday before there was a big amps international armor modeling show yep. in the same area. So that Friday we went to the amp show and I was like, Oh, you know what? I want to practice green non-metallic metal. And I saw a video on it. And so I had a list of the recipes and I was missing a couple colors. Well, the, the vendors there didn't have those colors either. And one of the first things that Alfonso paints is a green gold non-metallic metal and watching him like make his little mixtures across the table. I'm like, all right, that's exactly that. Like if I took those bottles and laid them out, they would match across that. And that was kind of eye opening uh, to me. And so for that class, I, well, I brought some inks and a few other paints. Uh, the main thing I actually painted with for that class were Liquitex acrylic gouache. Okay. Um, and so I mixed, you know, I, I think the only one I dipped into was <laughs> funny enough, dark Prussian blue. Uh, <laughs> um, and so it was such an education, right? No, it's a great paint. It's a great color. I, and I, you know what? I still love, right? I, you know, I, I thought the idea was neat and uh, learning that, and it really kind of, um, expanded what my knowledge of what the colors tend to do. Yeah. Um, I still love a good recipe. I know like, I would, and especially ones that like, you're like, oh damn, I didn't think of ever using that color in this combination. You know, it's kind of eye opening for sure. But, yeah. um, like we should go ahead. There's been a lot, I've been watching a lot of videos lately that, um, that talk a lot about, uh, like the pure, pure pigment colors, like the chimera colors and mm -hmm. chimera paints mm -hmm. and this thing where it's a single, single color uh, in the single pigment in the right. single color um, pigment. Uh, and I think it's uh, it, it, knowing what you can do with your paints and knowing which paints have a mix of color, a mix of pigments in there and the way they're mm -hmm. going to react is important as well. So something like charred brown, I mentioned I love it because it's brown and it's purple and it's gray um, mm -hmm. all at once. It works through all of those because it has those pigments through it. Um, and if you start to mix it into other pure pigments, you're just going to, you're going to muddy it down, but you're going to know right. what you're going to be doing. So, um, yeah, it's paying attention, understanding what your, your paints are doing and, and why they're doing what they're doing on the, on the palette when you're mixing them. Yeah. That's Super definitely a, a deep, deep conversation. Right. There because <laughs> it's really, I mean, that's some good theory because we're starting to see a lot more, traditional artists uh, get into the hobby where they're bringing this expertise in. I mean, we've had spattering of it for a while, but now when, you know, we're talking about 
um, you know, signal pigment colors, and then knowing how those two are going to interact, you know, is that black that you have that says it's pure black, does it have a green base? Does it have a blue base? And if you mix something with it, all of a sudden it changes all the, you know, everything that you've done for the last however many hours or minutes. Yeah. And uh, just understanding that and having that, um, that, that concept and that, that practice, it's, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's beyond what I do at this point. Uh, cause I, uh, you know, I try to get my pre-made stuff as much as I can, you know, <laughs> my limited, uh, amount there and I can mix them if I need to, but I have definitely fallen into that where I'm trying to paint a color and I mix it and I'm like, why did this come out so weird that yeah. I just can't get back to that original color. So then I have to scrap it or start over again or think, or think of another approach because yep. you know, those reds aren't turning red like I wanted them to do, or that purple's not doing what I was wanting it to do because I didn't understand or know the underlying colors that were mixed in there. Um, and that's kind of the, you know, it makes it easier when you're painting armies, but if you're starting to do display pieces or you're looking to do something very specific, um, having the, the, the pre-mixed stuff can make it a little bit more, I'm not going to say difficult, um, but there's definitely a lot more, um, I guess, playing with it to make sure that the numbers are the, the, uh, colors are going where you want them to go. Yeah. Um, and yep. definitely practicing. I seem to do an awful lot of, um, practice pieces before I actually start to paint into things. Cause I still haven't gotten through that. Okay. I know if I mix two, two colors, I know how they interact with each other. It's not a big deal. I have to practice cause I'm like, nope here's my 45th color of yellow or orange and it's still not working for me. It's not giving me what I need it. Yep. You know, okay, let me wash this guy, <laughs> put him in my green tank and uh, I'll go ahead and start, start all over again. <laughs> he makes a trip to Sybil Green Lake. <laughs> That's right. Every day. It seems like. <laughs> so Dan, we, uh, you know what, we should probably, uh, get on track and, and talk to Dave about one of the reasons why he is here for sure. That's right. Cause we could pick your brain. Like there's so many great things that we could discuss with you, uh, but we just happen to be having this interview as it coincides with the launch of your next artist book series on Kickstarter. Take us back a little bit and tell us how this series first came about. Um, sure thing. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, Folks might not know, but uh, when was it? Three, four years ago, uh, I ran a Kickstarter for my first book, Harvey's uh, Legions and Hordes. Um, basically, I went to university for um, graphic design. And I've done a lot of graphic design, a lot of layout um, over the years, working on White Dwarf magazine, War Games Illustrated magazine. Um, when I started my own business, uh, I would do layout for um, small. Uh, miniatures companies who are launching rule sets and that kind of thing. And I was working on a book um, where I'd taken the photos for them. Uh, I was um, organizing the, uh, I designed the layout and I was doing the editing as I was sort of putting the words in. Um, a friend of mine had written the rules. Uh, so, but I was really enjoying bringing all of those disparate elements together into a format that somebody was going to, um, read and understand and enjoy. And I was like, I, I want to do this for myself. But I, I couldn't write a set of rules to save my life. Um, or I couldn't write a good set of rules to save my life. I could write a terrible one for sure. We all could. Um, but 
it's like, okay, well, they say write about what you know. What do I know about? And I know about painting armies. So I wrote a book about painting armies, legions and hordes, and um, it's kind of a bit of a uh, project. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm. Kind of like a project manual. Uh, not really manual, but um, oh, there's a great word for it. I can't remember it. It will come to me in a minute. But um, but basically, uh, it runs through. It talks about different roadblocks that people come up against when they're working on big projects and ways to get around those um, to keep your project moving along. Uh, and went well on Kickstarter. Uh, I launched, the, uh, released the book and people loved it. And I was like, I want to do more books. I want to publish more books. Uh, but I can't write like five books a year. Um, so uh, that's a lot of work. <laughs> it, it is it's an incredible amount of work to um, write a book. So I thought I, I will work with other people who are sort of experts in their field. Um, who Like they know what they're talking about. I know what they're talking about as well. And we'll create some great books. Uh, so I worked with Mel Bowes, the terrain tutor, um, great YouTube channel. Um, worked with Mel on terrain essentials. So we created um, what I think is probably the, the best wargaming terrain book that's sort of been put out on the on the market. Um, certainly, it's uh, definitely the best one since uh, How to Make Wargames Terrain from GW, but I think it, it sort of goes leaps and bounds ahead of that one. But uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I wanted to work with, with other artists as well. And there are some people that whose work I really, um, it really spoke to me and I wanted to uh, work with them. And it, as, as we said before, like looking at armies, looking at individual models, looking at squads, warbands, whatever it happens to be, be it for a, a tournament, be it for um, your own personal gaming or for uh, competition painting. It's all really exciting and cool. Um, I love every aspect of it. So I wanted to make sure that I could do these, do books, a series of books with people in a format that was, um, that didn't sort of shoehorn it into being any one category. Uh, so I came up with the Art Of series uh, and I've been talking with Aaron, um, Aaron Lovejoy from Miniature Monthly um, about the possibility of working on an art book with them. Uh, and when I came up with this idea, I talked about it with Aaron and um, Elizabeth and Matt, and they were like, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, we're down for that. I think the sort of got the final um, okay from them at, uh, what's it called? At Cold Wars, um, the HMGS show, uh, Historical Miniatures Gaming Society show, uh, that was the last show that happened before everything shut down. Um, COVID. So uh, yeah, got them on board. And then it was like, I want to work with um, Christoph Kyle. Um, I've loved it. You know, I love conversions and I've loved his conversions and his bashing and his approach to it is, is quite different to mine. Uh, for me, I will go, okay, here's my idea. Here are the two parts that I've got that are the closest to it. What might, what will fulfill my idea let me clip them off and jam them together and fill the gap. <laughs> uh, see, <laughs> see what sticks. See if it works and uh, how much work it's going to be. Um, 
but Christoph is a guy who will spend a lot of time going through and checking like 15 different pieces. Like he'll go through 15 different heads to make sure the head on his conversion is correct. Um, he'll go through, he'll, he'll spend like an hour shaving the carving the shape of a breastplate that was actually the boot of something else, you know, make it a breastplate just to sh by shaving it down and putting it exactly in the right spot because he doesn't like using putty at all in his conversions. So he wants to make sure that all of his pieces fit together perfectly, but he makes some of the most amazing stuff. So I knew I wanted to work with him and uh, also Anna Polanchuk um, from Croatia. Anna's, I've loved her, the moodiness, the ambience, the vibe of all of her stuff um, for the last 10 years. Um, and yeah, so working with, with those um, five people to create three books for the, the Art Hob series was um, really exciting. So we ran the Kickstarter last year in May uh and sort of from april through to september we were working really hard on um the writing photography layout um lots of great conversations going back and forth as to um, what we put in there where we could put things um what was connected to to what how we wanted to expand um each person's book and what we wanted to focus on for each person um, so each artist has their, the thing that they would feel that they're most, um, sort of comfortable doing or they're most well known for, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, so we focused on that for their, their book for Christoph obviously was kit bashing, but we did have some of his sculpting in there and a bunch of his painting, um, how, how he approaches painting, um, Anna, it was about her storytelling, her world building. Um, and the, the, um, dark corners that she explores, the dark corners of the Warhammer worlds that she explores, uh, and, uh, for Aaron, it was, uh, commission painting. Um, we were talking about, um, speeding up painting by using like an airbrush. Um, there's a little story in that book where, um, Aaron talks about, um, airbrushing and some people saying, oh, it's a cheat. And it's like, well, no, if I would normally spend an hour base coating of space marine and then another like hour finishing the details if i can base coat a space marine in in like three minutes then i can spend that other hour the rest of that hour with all the details and it's taken me half the time to paint a model better than it would have before so it's like why is that not a win why is that not a great tool that everybody should be using um so uh yeah all sorts of things like that um you talked about practicing uh as well um elizabeth talks about it in a in the book we actually made a feature of it in the book um she has a uh, a work in progress shelf um so sometimes we talk about a shelf of opportunity or a shelf of shame, <laughs> or of shame or that sort of thing. i prefer opportunity but uh yeah, she has this work in progress shelf where like when, whenever we work on it, usually most people work on a project, they might stop halfway through, they'll put it aside with every intention of coming back to it and finishing it. The shelf that um, Elizabeth has, she has no attachments like that to any of the models on it. 
she doesn't plan on coming back to any of them. Uh, but if she has a rough week and she wants to relax on Friday evening, she relaxes by painting faces. So she'll pick up a model that doesn't have a face painted on it and she'll paint a face and then she'll put that model back on the shelf. And she's relaxed and she's calm and she's practiced. She's painted her face. If she wants to practice something, like if she wants, I think the example was like practicing painting uh, fishnet stockings. So she grabbed the model and painted fishnet stockings on it. And that's basically the only part of it that's, that's finished. Um, so well, there could be an artistic statement value just in that, though. So, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, but it's, it's, um, going through that process and talking with it with each of those artists and having them tell me something that to them is so basic and boring but for me hearing it was like that's revelationary that it's like that's that's amazing it's i want to make sure that we tell people about that that people understand that it's okay to not finish stuff or it's okay to um paint half a model faster than you used to um, or to take more time it's okay to do those things um, so that was sort of a big driver for me for getting those books um, the first three books underway and um, and happening so the next three books I've got th there are th three artists um, for these books um, volume four is uh, Chris Surrey uh, volume five is Tommy Sewell, um, who's also known as the, the Miniature Painting Tutor um, from the UK. Uh, and then volume six is Saini Die, who is an awesome painter from France. Uh, and that's the other great thing, because our, our hobby spans the globe and you get to meet people and talk to people from different countries, different cultures, different um, mindsets, and you can just learn so much from um, talking to them and listening and asking questions and looking for patterns and understanding what they're doing. And uh, so the idea of um, putting books together with those three, three painters is just amazing. Um, so yeah, really excited about that. Chris is going to be focused on um, storytelling and composition because he really enjoys building his dioramas and his shadow box scenes and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and he's a master at it. Yeah. I mean, he's so good at it. Yeah. And Chris has been on the show and will also be on the show, uh, not too long after this episode, but, uh, yep. yeah, when I saw that, and um, when I saw, first saw the advertisement, uh, and his name and I went, yeah, that makes a hell that there, there is somebody whose work who needs to be in a book, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, um, it, it's that thing as well. And then I know that there's a lot of people, uh, there's, there's always that discussion of, is it art is what we do art. Is it art or is it craft? And it's like, it's when it comes down to it, it's all a, a whole bunch of like made up bullshit descriptions. <laughs> um, Agreed. So, um, but uh, and then of course I've gone and thrown art on the front of the book. But um, I think uh, we can all all appreciate the process of creation um, that goes into it. Uh, one of the things I loved about um, so or that I love about part of Chris's book that I'm really excited to put in there. It's just going to be a double page spread of um, uh, one of his scenes that he's, he's done, uh, I think he did it last year called the market. Um, yeah. With a fantastic sort of bat character in a, in a uh, sort of open air market setting. Uh, and it, he sent through some of the work in progress shots and I was clicking through them, looking through the Dropbox and uh, it's like, 
okay well that's the that's the same shot but it's different colors on the each part of the the scene is a different color it was all everything was base coded so it's like oh each part of the scene is a different color and then it was like the next shot was a different color again and then a different color again and i said oh i saw those those shots that's great do you do that in photoshop and he was like no no i paint that on so he was testing testing his colors working out his color scheme and what he wanted to go where or what base colors he wanted to go where and if he wasn't happy with them he just painted over it and i was like but you, you don't you obviously don't strip it because there's a lot of materials that wouldn't would not survive yeah survive the stripping and he goes no no i just i said do you prime over it again he goes no no just paint over the top sometimes you get cool results where like the color underneath will bleed through a little bit and you're like oh okay i wasn't expecting that it's like that is amazing that is like so i think for that market scene he probably went through like seven or eight different color combinations before he struck on the one that he he wanted to do uh, yeah now he did he did when he was on the show last time he yeah. he he did chide uh my use of stripping at times you know i told him it's how i made my way through college you know um <laughs> but uh you know he did he was just kind of like just paint over it and i'm like yeah but dude after the 15th time you can't see that eye, that it's not an eye anymore you know like it's just not you know i got <laughs> i gotta recover the detail this is the point where you gotta bring it back um but uh no it's just one of those things where it's like that's amazing i don't think i've ever i know i personally have never done that to that extent before um and it's probably it's one of the one of the key things that that separates us as, as painters is um is willing to do that and take that extra step and, and go that um go down those paths so it was really exciting to to see that um tommy Sewell's work i've known for a long time um i'm actually super lucky to be the owner of a um a Reva Titan that he painted for a, uh, a charity raffle. Oh, wow. Um, so with That's all my years cool. of working on the Nova charity raffle, I was never able to, to buy any tickets because uh, mm -hmm. it was a conflict of interest. So it was like, right. oh, somebody else is having a raffle and what's the prize? <laughs> Tommy Saul painted Reva Titan. I'm in. <laughs> so I spent like a hundred bucks on tickets and, uh, and I won. And so I have that anyway, um, little side story, but, uh, that's great though. I love that. That's what the, that's what our hobby is all about is a side story, yeah, you know? Sure. Uh, but yeah, Tommy, um, Tommy's like one of those guys who sort of first came to my attention. Um, when he was one of the, one of the first guys to run like weekend long classes, two day, two day painting classes, um, at stores and that kind of thing, like 12, 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. Um, and he also, he set up, um, Golem painting studio uh in the uk uh, so that was one of the early uh painting studios um and yeah i just always really appreciated his approach to painting and since we've been talking uh and working and he's he's probably written about twenty thousand words already by now um he his passion is for teaching so those 20,000 words he's, he's written are his fundamentals course, essentially. So he's distilling his, the, what he would present in the fundamentals course um, over a weekend. He's distilling all of that. And that's where it's, we're talking about demystifying um, painting and taking out all of the words that don't have clear definitions. Uh, the, the example he always uses is um, feathering. 
<laughs> so yeah, I'm just going to do some feathering here. And, uh, and the two examples that he uses are, um, Angel, uh, or others is like, I go like this and, uh, Darren Latham is like, well, I'm just going to do some feathering and I'll go, and it's a little bit different. But which ones? Well, I say it's a little bit different. One of them is a push stroke. One of them is a pull stroke. Which which one's feathering? Are they both feathering? What does feathering mean? Something different, but nobody's able to clarify that. Um, and so much time we don't actually think about it. We're just like, oh, I want to learn how to do that. What is it called? Oh, it's feathering. Okay, cool. I'll learn how to feather, and you learn how to feather that one way, and whatever it might happen to be. But you don't stop and go, what actually is it? How do I break that down? How do I achieve that? And Tommy's book is going to have a large chunk of it, which is that it's how to down. It's going to talk about setting up your palette, setting consistency of the paint on your palette, loading your brush, shaping your brush, um, applying the brush to the model. Um, so that, um, and we've talked about the, like the two thin coats kind of thing. And if you watch some of the, um, the Citadel masterclass, and they're like, let's go with multiple thin coats until we've built up the, the layer, uh, until you've built up a solid base coat. And it's like, well, what you want to do is you want to have the smoothest, most solid base coat in the fewest number of steps, right? That's ideally your situation. That's giving you the best coverage. It's going to be the smooth. So if that if that's one coat, it's going to be one coat. If that's five coats, it's going to be five coats. But let's not say do two thin coats. Sorry, and, and and you're you're talking to two people of uh, who spent time with Roman uh, Laplante and Banshee, and so we don't believe in thin coats. Like, we just pour, we just take the tube and squeeze it on a model and move it around. And... I was just thinking that same thing. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. No, as soon as um, as soon as uh, um, Banshee started using that uh, the hashtag, I was like, I, I I've been there all along. <laughs> I mean, smooth. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's Tommy um, and uh, Saini's work is is spectacular, and his his sort of signature elements are um, incredible use of color and color choices, um, things that you just wouldn't you wouldn't pick, you wouldn't you wouldn't sit there and they're trying to work out what you're going to do with the model. You just wouldn't pick those colors, but they just work so beautifully. Um, texture. Yeah, and you look at them and try to figure out, like, you. I, I just, I, the two things I always think with that artist is, how the hell did those go together? Yeah. Why did you think of that? And the precision, like, just absolute, I don't know, precise placement. I don't know. It's so weird to be like, look at something that's so it almost hurts that it's so technically, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, why is that so perfect? You know? <laughs> no, um, it, it is, um, it is amazing. Yeah. The color, his texture, um, use of texture, uh, and, um, his patterns. I mean, the first thing that the pieces that caught my eye from, uh, from Saini originally were, um, his Carcaridon force, um, that he converted up and did a lot of fantastic, um, paintings. So a space Marine, Space Sharks. Uh, put a Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw Mike's sort of eyes starting to glaze over. <laughs> but uh, no, spectacular um, use of um, very sort of a tribal style 
patterns painted on, almost type tribal tattoo sort of patterns being painted on. Um, but yeah, that, and that sort of led me on to the rest of his work. But uh, yeah, and he's um, been super enthusiastic and uh, he's probably got five or six thousand. He's the was the last one to come on of the three. Um, but uh, and Chris is probably I think Chris is maybe five or 10,000 words away from finishing. Um, hopefully he'll tell you the same thing when you have a chat with him. Uh, <laughs> we, can, we can compare notes afterwards. But All uh, right. So I was going to say at the end, we could talk about, is there anything you need me to pressure Chris on when I talk, when we talk to him tomorrow night, you know, we can always uh, rough him up a little bit, right? You know, <laughs> not, a, not at all. Um, I mean, as far as, um, as far as an author to work with, um, it's been a, it's like an absolute treat. Um, he has all of the pieces that, uh, all but one of the pieces that he wants to feature in the book. He he still owns. Um, they're in a cabinet in in, in the like the cabinet behind where he sits when we have a video calls, uh, mm-hmm. and he takes so many um, fantastic work in progress shots. Yes, that, he's, he's good at that. Yeah, to to be able to show people the process of creating um, those scenes is just uh, awesome. So. Um, I think he, he previewed a scene today on Instagram uh, mm-hmm. working on this, the setting for it. Uh, and last week he was like, Oh, I'm a little bit worried about, about this scene. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And I said, well, what's the problem? What are you concerned about? And he said, I'm not sure about the arrangement of the figures. And he showed me like seven different ar- arrangements. <laughs> I was like, well, I really like this one. <laughs> like, well, why do you like that one? Was like, so I explained why. And, um, it's like okay, yeah. Some of the some other people I've shown it to have been leaning towards that one too. So I don't know which way he's come down, but uh, but he does go through that that sort of um, that process almost like he's um, almost like directing a scene, uh, mm-hmm. making a movie. Uh, right. It's got that everything's just going to be in the right place. The cam the camera angle essentially is making mm-hmm. sure that's right, and that it works from there. Uh, so. I'm really excited to, yeah, to just put all these books together and, and, uh, bring that. And Chris made me feel so good about my pile of failed builds. Like, so wait, like I was down in my basement where, uh, where I do a lot of my work and stuff and I'm like, kind of lifted the laptop and showed him. I'm like, so you remember that two girl piece that I did? They're looking at each other and he's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, here are the 14 rooms that I made that didn't make the pass and he's like well look at this here's my pile from you know like you know i'm like nice okay thank goodness i'm not the only person that goes that was a hell of a lot of wood and plastic card that just died there today you know (laughs) so yeah his process is so interesting yeah and uh you know tommy's always like uh i i can't lie i catch a lot of his he does a lot of the reels on uh on Instagram, yep. he starts live videos and I try to hop on those whenever I can. And I mean, and I, I'm sitting here and I can't lie. I'm also looking at, uh, Saini's, uh, Instagram page while I'm at it. And I like seeing pieces that, um, that I've seen before that I didn't realize, uh, were his. And like, uh, I forgot all about the half tattooed frog. Right. Yep. I'm like, Holy mother. That it's <laughs> Yep. Just the, the detail and uh, yeah, you, you picked a, a great group of artists and I'm going to throw this out there because we're not, um, you know, this one hasn't even launched yet. Uh, but knowing uh, 
like hearing the way you spoke, you've yeah. probably got artists lined up for the next three, don't you? Um, I haven't got, um, I have a, I have a list. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I very definitely have a list. Um, I've got, uh, I have a list of us artists. I have a list of UK artists. I have a list of European artists. I have a list of Australian artists uh -huh. uh, and sort of a list of rest of the world artists. Yeah. <laughs> Folks that I like yeah. to approach. One of the things that I want to, um, make sure that I do though, with each of the, um, groupings with each of the sets of three uh is have artists who um whose work is different from the other mm -hmm. other artists uh, i think it'd be it would be quite easy to go um to put three artists together that are all very similar they paint yes. the same sort of things they have a similar approach to um to their painting or to their color choices or their style or whatever it happens to be um right i want to try and balance at each time so that there's something fresh from each each one um for example i'd love to have um i'd love to work with victoria lamb uh, yes australia um victoria's mm -hmm. professional um gig is uh, as a set designer for um i think it's for the like the south australian theater mm -hmm. and um so having her talk about set design and how that impacts um like diorama building would be very similar to Chris's work. So I wouldn't right. want the two of those together in a, in a group. Uh, right. Uh, so I mean, talking about uh, like Saini and his color choices, uh, while his style is very different to Sergio Calvo's mm -hmm. style, I wouldn't want to have them together as well because Sergio's color choices are the thing that lift him right up um mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing so it's it's, it's always it's going to be a a fine game of tetris <laughs> okay who's available who's got the time to do it who's interested in doing it how do they fit where are they in the world that kind of thing so and, um, you know it's funny you mentioned victoria because actually somebody i was talking to uh, i have a uh cousin on my wife's side that has recently gotten into miniature painting and you know he's he, of course he went from the oh i want to paint some miniatures to like two months later let me do osl and i'm like dude slow your roll yeah <laughs> like i'm like gonna tell you a it's 90 percent of the time a gimmick uh b it doesn't come out most, most of the time it doesn't read like the environment and yeah. c start by looking at this diorama from victoria lamb because this is the first time i've ever seen I had ever seen OSL done correctly, which is rescuing the princess. I think it's called now. And brain is rescue of sister Joan. Yep. Rescue of sister Joan. You're right. And so, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that looks a lot different than all the other." I'm like, "Yes, this is not just painting bright blue to white on a plasma gun." Yeah. You know. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's she's. Uh, I love her work. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know. And there's so many paint, like, you know, also we're finding more and more from different places in the world as we do the podcast. There's so many incredible artists out there um, that, you know, that's one of our favorite things to do is introduce people to somebody they may never have heard of or uh, cross genres like, you know, uh, probably Dungeons and Dragons. People have never heard of Mark Moskalins, um, but they should. They really should learn how to paint, like learn the skin tones from that guy or something. You know, that's just as an example, you know, um, and so that's. And that's pretty cool that that you're doing. I feel like your books offer that avenue as well um, yeah. to get people to notice 
yeah. there are others out there. Yeah. One, one of the things as well that I want to do with the series um, is eventually like, do, so Osprey um, Publishing do a lot of um, great sort of reference material series mm -hmm. for um, uh, sort of military history. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're, they're definitely used a lot by uh, people who are painting up um, historical armies. And it might, if they have a series called Men at Arms or Men mm -hmm. at Arms, and it's not a chronological approach to every single warrior through history, mm -hmm. uh, but you could go, um, okay, I want to, I want to paint, um, like, uh, Greek hoplites from the era of, era of, um, like Alexander the Great. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, cool. You need to get, um, Men at Arms 33, uh, 62 and uh, 137 <laughs> you get those three and you'll have all the information you need you'll have some great color plates you'll be able to paint up mm -hmm. models from that mm -hmm. uh, so i would love absolutely love that in the in the future somebody would go i'm really interested in learning more about osl and it's like oh fantastic you want to get volume nine with victoria lamb you want to get uh <laughs> volume 13 and uh 73 Right. And those three artists will inspire you so much with, with their OSL work. Um, so that's that's another great sort of it, cool thing that I would like this series to do as it builds up to create that library. Not only have each one um, be a fantastic standalone book, mm -hmm. but work as part of a, a greater whole or a greater knowledge of miniature painting. So. Right, um, and the potential for it is is endless, really. So, mm -hmm. um, and this is a great can... time for it, also. Uh, people are really starting to get into you know board games that have figures. Yep. People are you know, hey, okay, I'm tired of painting, you know, this gray or this green thing. Let me do something a little additional to it. You know, NGW, you know, being the the, the big force that it is, uh, with all kinds of great armies that are coming out. And then you have some smaller games and companies that are coming out with their figures. There's a lot of people out there doing this. Yeah. And where do they look? I get lost looking for certain techniques online. And I've been doing this for 20-something years. Um, there's just an overload of information. But having something like, oh, I know that I can go because we're old school. A piece of paper and tactile uh, yeah. because we are doing a tactile hobby um picking up a book and saying i know that these two volumes are going to help me out with osl and thumb through it um that's i think that's a great vision and i think that's something that we're going to be needing we're, i mm -hmm. mean we're we're on the path of that now and we have this great renaissance as we could say with 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 miniature games and and this this great yeah. hobby that we have that this is a, a perfect place for that and a perfect time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And it, it just checks all the boxes for me, really. It's I get to do something really cool. I get to, get to work with really cool people and create um, products that they can be really proud of. Uh, and it's a great sort of um, roadmark, oh, sort of milepost in their journey, their journey through the hobby as well. It's like, at this point, this is where they were at, and this is what they were thinking, and this is how they approached their their uh, miniature painting. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Plus, what artist doesn't want to have their art immortalized in a book? Sure. Right? I mean, just, just let's be honest at that level. I mean, see, Dan and I have talked about it in the past, and we, the only type of manual we could do is what not to do. 
Um, it would be titled like, we suck at painting. Don't buy this. Don't buy this book. You know, <laughs> I think I've seen that, but, seen that YouTube thumbnail. <laughs> oh, the, we suck at painting. So you don't have to, <laughs> that was the original motto. That was the first motto before better, braver, happier. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I will say I do. I do prefer the optimism of better, braver, happier. <laughs> sure. <laughs> One is just cold, hard reality, you know, and the other one is something that, you know, uh, we like, we like to chide each other about, but, uh, yeah. um, All good. when you start out doing these, do you have kind of like, um, absent, you know, like you, you, you look to Chris for like kind of story narrative building, um, and stuff, those, those type of parameters, but are there other, um, structural parameters that you look to? Are you looking for something that's a certain amount of pages, a certain amount of pictures per page? I mean, I'd, I'd like when you're kind of crafting the overall nature of the book, um, cause I know to me, I look at these in a little bit, don't, I hope you don't take this kind of the wrong way. Um, because there are, there are photo books as well. They're the highly driven photo books. And so getting the balance between narrative and between the photo photography. Um, I just don't know if you have a formula or if is it just something that comes organically? Um, I think it, uh, I could apply <laughs> bringing things full circle. Uh, like earlier in the conversation, we were talking about miniature painting projects, like my, my army projects and that kind of thing. Um, I think um, I go into it and I'll, I'll say, um, so my conversation with Chris, for example, was okay, Chris. We're going to be talking. Uh, we're going to be starting with a book that's uh, 96 pages um, from my time in uh, laying out magazines uh, like uh, War Games Illustrated. Um, we would average it, like for a page that was half text, half images, would be about 500 words a page. If we were to approach it that way, we'd be looking at 48,000 words um, for a 96-page book. However, because it's miniatures and we want miniature photography and we want to have some very dramatic shots that so will be full page or full spread um, that we're probably looking more around 35,000 words, 35,000 to 40,000, somewhere in there. Um, I think if we push that, like if, if Chris wrote 50,000 words, then we'd want to push the size of the book up to 112 pages, 128 pages. Um, so that we could keep that more comfortable balance with the, the images. Um, so there is that basic, those broad strokes to the vision. Um, everybody wants to know the origin story. How did you get into painting or what were your key influences as you were developing sort of during your painting? So, yeah, we don't ask any of those questions ever. No, no. Um, I was really disappointed not to be asked them myself. But uh, <laughs> no, the, um, but it's something that that, every, that we're all interested to. Absolutely. Um, we want to we want to know the person that we're reading about um, or talking to or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and I think with Chris, I said, and, and so storytelling, composition, um, diorama building, those are the topics I'd like you to cover. Chris and he was like okay cool yeah um so he, he started looking through it and working on it and it was like okay, I want to have a section on inspiration and what inspires me to do these things and I have a section on this and um this and that and when I talked about the him doing the that color composition working on like seven or eight different versions of it I was like you've got to write a section on that and he goes well I'm not very confident about writing about that and I said okay well we'll keep it as part of the composition section of the book 
rather than trying to break out color composition into a whole other right chapter um so it developed as we were talking through it and um like I, I make sure with all of the artists i work with that if they've got an idea that they're excited about then they should very definitely let me know and we'll work out a way to adjust what we're doing to fit that in um but at the same time i, I really do not want anything to be formulaic um because uh, one of the one of the main reasons is form, formulaic books like this could become very repetitive, very dull. Uh, so I want people to be, I want the artists to be talking about the thing that most excites them in a way that you can tell their excitement is coming through the words they're writing. Um, and those little interesting tidbits from each of them that you, you wouldn't see if you're just looking at the finished piece on Instagram kind of thing. So, um, so that inf interesting information behind the, behind the scenes. Um, and also I think that if it's formulaic, it can unfortunately draw unnecessary comparison. You might look at it and go, well, they, they answered this question in like two lines or this person spent like 20 pages answering that question in that sort of um sort of thing so and that's it's unnecessary each person is different they're going to approach it differently so um and sometimes there'll be things that they approach exactly the same um but they'll have a very different feel different feeling about it it might be like oh that's nothing to me or it might be that's the most important thing to me even though they're both on the same and it's like well why doesn't he care about that doesn't matter <laughs> um so that's that's really why working with the artists and talking to them about about what they want to present do they want to present like a chronological presentation of their work or their development through whatever it happens to be um christophs for example uh his kit bashing work is essentially that it's here's the first one of the first kit bashes i did is where i the first time i used I looked to this area for inspiration and here's how I continue to build and develop, um, kit bashing. Um, I think, uh, Saini's approach is going to be, uh, a sort of narrowing of the funnel, I guess. He's going to start with his army projects and work to war band projects and then small dioramas and then individual models. Um, not necessarily in chronological order, for that that sort of thing but it's just a different mindset for him for each of those so he's presenting his mindset along the way um and i think that's that's exciting to me i get to yeah, the, talking about those different different approaches is really very cool and you really get a chance to kind of get inside the mind of the artist as well yeah. and so that that's what's always intriguing to me and i got to remember that the next time i see you i have got to bring my armies legions and hordes book <laughs> to get it signed um <laughs> i had i got it for christmas a couple of years ago and i'm like damn it covid yeah <laughs> if you weren't going to ReaperCon, you know you could probably just have it true 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 <laughs> yeah. true true i'm going to ReaperCon this year um well, they were really good to me. I mean, and not that Nova was bad, but it was just a, it was an awesome experience. And I have, a, I do, you know, yeah. 
no, I've committed know. to teaching some classes. We, we, we uh, yeah, I think we hash that out every uh, every episode now. I know. We have to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't. Dave doesn't need to hear this. No. Um, well, one, um, of the, one of the things I will say about um, like having ReaperCon and Nova and uh, DragonCon all on the same weekend is I think in 2019, um, there was something like uh, 1,200 models. And to 1200 entries at least into painting competitions at major conventions in the US on that weekend. That's that's more than twice as many entries went into Golden Demon at the Golden Demon's return at Adepticon this year. So uh, I'm I'm all for that. I'm totally here for thousands of people painting. Exactly. And you know, you know, Mike and I joke around a lot about, yeah. you know, which ones are going to have the bigger turnout and you know, who goes to which competitions and stuff. But I think deep down inside, we're just excited to see that these are growing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, we know Golden Demon is, you know, the, the king. Um, but if it's drawing people into that, can you know, without being super competitive, but that competitive feel of, uh, and showcasing yep. your art, um, if that spreads to other smaller conventions or even other conventions, yep. that's what we want to see. We want to see the hobby grow. We want to see people enjoy the hobby. Yep. And that's, uh, that, that is the important part. Yeah, very definitely. Very definitely. I do have one other question for you about before we kind of like, kind of do some wrap up. I know we've been here a while. I don't want to keep you all <laughs> night long. Um, but, uh, so with this book line, um, do you see yourself uh, kind of like doing like not just kind of the art of in the world of miniature painting? Do you see yourself maybe going into other genres like a, a historical or maybe I don't Gundam as an example or, you know, something along those like kind of expanding the the nature of, you know, I think, um, yeah, within within the art of uh, for sure, I can definitely see um historical miniatures or painters who have focused on historical miniatures, uh, be they 75 mil display miniatures or historical armies, um, that kind of thing. I'd love to work with, uh, Daniel, um, Begman from HVM workbench. Uh, he does spectacular cinematic photography. Um, but he, um, his painting is, um, is great. Uh, he does a lot of commission painting. But uh, the way that he presents his miniatures is it's like they like they stepped off the screen uh, and he's done a lot of great um, dark age and medieval um, miniature painting for uh, footsore miniatures and uh, which is how I originally uh, got to see his work. Um, he does some fantastic stuff there. There's a couple of guys in um, in the UK that uh, definitely focused on historical miniatures. Um, there are a lot of um, fantastic artists like scale modeling. I'd love to include a scale modeler at some point. Um, this guy, um, Don Serratos from Oh yeah, uh, yeah, the Philippines, uh, spectacular Gundam modeler uh, and and miniature painter in general. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of people that I'd like to um, include in it, in it all in that just this great big world of basically throwing painted stuff. Right. <laughs> um, like, yeah, miniatures of any size. And it's like, uh, it, sometimes when, um, so I, uh, 
most Thursday nights, uh, I'm on a painting live stream uh, called Painting Happy Little Minis. And um, it's uh, done by Game Trade Media, who's the marketing arm of Alliance Game Distributors. Uh, and sometimes we've had, we've painted some really big miniatures on that. And people are like, okay, when does it stop being a miniature and start being a bigature? And it's like, well, I, I think once it goes beyond like the one-to-one -one scale. So if it's right. like two-to-one or something like that. Um, but I don't know. Smog may count as a big itch, you know, beyond miniature. Oh, sorry. Smog miniature is crazy. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think the, um, yeah, the people who are painting any sort of miniatures really, I'm, I'm super keen to, to look at. Um, there's a fantastic uh, YouTube channel that I just found recently. Um, I think it's called Night Shift. Um, it's a fantastic guy who's got a, um, an awesome accent, <laughs> um, but he looks uh, great um, scale modeling and uh, um, breaks his dioramas down into like four or five videos and focuses on different aspects of it. But um, yeah, he'd be, he'd be a great guy to, to bring into, uh, into the fold as well. So um, yeah, just really um, excited. As, as we said, that there are so many people um, that, my, my biggest fear is that I'm going to piss people off by not not inviting them to work on a book with me. Mm -hmm. I hope that I don't um, because, um, yeah, there's just so many awesome artists out there. And right. and as we say, that over the next 20, 30 years, there's only going to be so many more. <laughs> yes, there's only so many books to go around too, you know. <laughs> I, I might have to make it six a year or 12 a year. <laughs> 12 a year would probably be my limit, but I'll start with six. <laughs> so why don't, uh, let's, uh, well, let's do the plug then. Uh, why don't you give us all the information on the Kickstarter? Uh, okay. So uh, the Kickstarter goes live uh, Tuesday, May 10th. Um, I think it's going to be about noon Eastern summertime, uh, Eastern daylight time, whatever it's called. Uh, so, That'll happen. We've got the three books. Uh, each of the books, if you wanted to pledge for them individually, are going to be thirty dollars each. Uh, you can pledge for them and uh, a PDF, uh, physical and a PDF version, which will be um, forty dollars for those two things together. Um, if you wanted to get uh, all three books together, uh, that'll be eighty dollars, I think. And all three books and the PDFs is going to be about 110, 510. Getting all three books. That's a nice little discount. Yeah. 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 And uh, the, the MSRP on those is uh, $38. So okay. it's even, even chunkier discount there. But uh, nice. it's, if you want to make sure it's really good for our, the people who are getting these off the ground. Right. And yeah. Uh, Will there be options for uh, for the backers to purchase some of the older books also? Uh, there will not uh, okay. at the moment. We do, well, we don't have any plans to, um, okay. mainly because uh, those those books are currently in uh, available in retail, um, or, oh, retail okay. Okay. or online. So um, you can get those immediately rather than, mm -hmm. well, when I say immediately, like within a week or two, um, but rather than having to wait okay as a whole package okay yeah there's a whole package to ship together um also shipping books can be um well it's, it's pretty i fun. didn't think about shipping because yeah that could be uh yeah, shipping a bunch of wood is, uh, yeah it's, it's pretty it's pretty uh pretty fierce but um so yeah if you're if your local store is able to get them in um from one of our distributors 
uh, either like in the US, uh, it's Bridge Distribution or Alliance. Uh, in the rest of the world, it's Warlord Games. But if they can get those those books in there, you don't have to pay shipping, which is great. Um, you do pay retail, but um, it's there's a bit of a balance there. But uh, and you can find out about where you can get the books on DaveTaylorMiniatures.com, right? That's correct. Yep. I think, I think the latest news post is um, is where those are available. Okay. Um, cool. And we'll put links to all this in our show notes. Um, and uh, one other question with that, Ken, uh, is there a place they can sign up for notification for the launch of the Kickstarter? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a we do have a pre-launch page um, ready to go, so I can make sure you have that uh, okay. that link. Perfect. And also, once the Kickstarter starts, that link rolls over to take the active the kickstarter page okay perfect yeah, that'll be fine but uh yeah so um we're pretty excited we're um last year we, for the first three books we had about 1400 backers nice um, so i'd really love to see that grow mm -hmm. um, and sort of co continue to take the the series forward um absolutely yeah, yeah. so and so give us a plug for uh, you said on thursday night you do a live stream one more time you um, tell us yeah, so it's uh it's on um we, we stream live on um facebook youtube and twitch uh all at the same time painting happy little minis painting happy little minis um the nice riff on um bob ross but uh we're actually on hiatus at the moment our um producer uh her final day was last friday so the alliance game trade media team are um, looking for a basically recruiting a new um producer okay. at the moment so hopefully we'll be back in the next um next few weeks but uh yeah it'll be myself and jeff hall um who uh, you guys might know from games and stuff mm -hmm. um, so just the uh operations manager up there okay um but yeah, so it'll be a good little summer break for you. You're like, but well, you're going to run the Kickstarter. It's kind of good timing, right? To be on a little bit of a high. A little bit of a break. Yeah. So I can be super focused and anxious and <laughs> refresh, refresh, refresh. Um, it, it is uh, anxiety wise. It is a killer. But um, at the same time, it's uh, for a small business like mine, um, where it's just me uh, and the artists that I'm working with. Uh, it's um, it's a super important thing to do. We couldn't uh, we couldn't make the books if we if we didn't do the crowdfunding. So I really appreciate everybody who uh, who supports us and backs us and uh, helps everybody sort of create this cool stuff. Right, and you, I mean you do you do have to put up with that idiot that the second the thing ends goes, "Where's my book?" You know, like because there's in one in every Kickstarter. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I have uh, I could probably list like. Uh, Half a dozen of my friends who will undoubtedly like message me as soon as it finishes and says, "Congratulations, where's my book?" Right. <laughs> Just because they know that there's that one guy. It's not. It's like fifteen of them. But no, that's all cool. I, what I really hope to do um, is, as we continue to to roll through these, uh, and our um, the base of supporters and people who are backing this um, project continues to grow i can get to a point where the books are all could almost be finished uh being written by the time we get to the kickstarter um which would be ideal and then the turnaround is much shorter um yeah so um definitely that's my aim i'd love to to do that uh but um 
yeah, it's just going to take us a little bit more to get there, but eventually we'll get to that point. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the, the traditional things that we do is we uh, part is, uh, do, do you have any advice for our listeners as they continue their journey to become better, braver, happier painters? Um, I think the key thing is, uh, well, there's two things I'll say. One is, um, one of my, my catchphrases is, uh, make your painting a habit, not a chore. Um, there's a, um, I love the movie, the most recent movie Dune and the 1984 David Lynch Dune, but there's a line in that, um, when, uh, Gurney Halleck is talking to, um, Paul Atreides and like basically getting ready to, to practice fighting. And, uh, and that he goes, I, I'm not in the mood. And he goes, like, mood is a thing for cattle or love play. Um, not for fighting. You got to fight when you need to fight kind of thing. Um, so there's so many people who um, feel that they can't, they shouldn't be painting unless they're feeling motivated to paint. Um, but if you sit down and paint for half an hour every day, whenever it happens to be, um, you'll get stuff done. And you just do, do the mechanical stuff, paint the boots, paint the hat, whatever it happens to be, do all the mechanical things. And then when you're motivated, that's when you can go in and experiment with stuff. But don't make sitting at your desk at your painting table feel like a chore. You don't have to paint 30 guys for the next tournament. You want to paint 30 guys for the next tournament. You don't have to paint the model for um, the capital palette in September, you want to paint a model for it. You get a different sort of mindset. If you're there regularly doing it and you'll find that if you spend like 20, 30 days where you've spent that half hour, 45 minutes at your painting table, if you stop for a week, you'll be like Jones and for it. You're like, ah, oh, I've got to get back. I've got to sit down. I've got this idea. I've got this thing that I want to do. Um, so yeah, make it a habit to paint uh, rather than a chore and then enjoy the motivation as it comes and goes, but still paint all the time. I guess that'd be the big one, but enjoy it. Be happy. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> be happy. <laughs> yep. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPTWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Downloaded from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.